can you still accomplish things and be kind to yourself in the process and be gentle and take breaks and not work all the time? I think yes, just based on the fact that I'm now a homeschooling parent against my will. <laughs> and I, you know, have so much disruption in my life and yet publish a book, podcast comes out every week, run the business. And I don't, I only work a few hours a day. So that I think it's reorienting what having it all means, but also just letting go of that addiction to the striving and the belief that that's what's getting you the results. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite topics because having a five-minute wellness routine to feel good now is something that we can all do. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, it's a non-negotiable, especially if you're thinking to yourself that you just don't have time for five minutes. And I just want you to know that I feel you if you're thinking you don't have enough time. Right now I have a newborn and creating five minutes some days can feel like a challenge, but I have found it to be possible even with a seven week old. Now here's what Robin and I believe to be true. Self-care is a non-negotiable for survival because the alternative is exhausting. And exhaustion and stress completely deregulate our hormones, our brain function, and our immune system. Blowing through life doesn't serve us in the long run. Learning that lesson has changed everything for me and Robin, who is the guest interviewer for today. And here's the deal. Self-care is quite simple. It can just be that five minutes and it gets to look any way you want it to look. For me, self-care means giving myself permission to pause literally right now. Self-care is simply taking a moment for yourself today. doesn't need to be anything more than that. And you deserve that much every single day, a moment to pause. And nobody understands that best than Robin Downs, who has dedicated her life to spreading the word about the feel-good effect, which touches upon small hinges that create big change when it comes to emotional and physical well-being. Now, before I welcome Robin onto the show for this epic conversation in creating a five-minute wellness routine to feel good right now, today... I want to quickly sing her praises. Robin believes in finding more calm, ease, and joy in your life right now and lives by her motto, gentle is the new perfect, holding a master's degree in education with an emphasis in behavioral changes and four years of public policy and health change at the doctorate level. Her work taps into cutting edge science around psychology, neuroscience, mindfulness, and habits. Recently named one of the most influential women in wellness, she helps people cut through life's clutter to uncover small shifts that create huge change. Let's welcome Robin Downs to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Robin Downs. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm so just, I'm really happy to be here and to talk with you today. I think we're going to have such a good conversation. Mm, I 100% agree. I think you and I are in full alignment, and I'm really excited to have this conversation, which is literally geared around how we can create just a five-minute, literally five-minute wellness routine to feel good 
right now. And I don't know who doesn't want that or even more so, who doesn't need it, Mm -hmm. right? And if there are women listening to this right now saying to themselves, I don't even have five minutes, well, then we have got to check your priorities because each and every one of us has five minutes. We can figure it out. If it's important, we can make it happen. Now, before we get into this, the nitty-gritty of this, and I'm so excited to hear how you are going to help us cultivate this beautiful little five-minute routine, I want to quickly just have you share a little bit about that defining moment, Robin, when you knew this wanted to be a big part of your message. You and I were chatting just very briefly before we hit record about sort of how long it took to learn this lesson. So I went through my entire 20s really pushing and striving. So I was always working full-time. I was also always in school on top of it. I think I did. I can't even count the number of years I spent in school. (laughs) And I, I worked at a university and I was a researcher. And I really had this mentality that just, just pushed through, like no matter what, no matter what my body said, no matter what. I was tired or whatever. I was just pushed through, strive. And then in my late 20s, we tried for a baby and I had multiple miscarriages, then infertility. And I just felt like it was my fault. Like I was doing something wrong. I wasn't following the perfect diet or, you know, I don't know. I just felt like there was something outside of myself that I could fix the problem. Eventually I did get pregnant, which is really wonderful, and had a healthy baby, but I didn't fix the underlying issue of like pushing and striving. So once she was born, I went right back to work, 60 hour a week, full-time doctoral program at the time. A lot of underlying health issues that I wasn't addressing. I didn't even realize how bad I felt because it was the normal in my life. And I don't know if anyone listening can relate to that, that you kind of just get used to the status quo. And I did finally hit rock bottom where I was leaving for work and I had, I think my daughter was like, eight months old and I was leaving for work and my husband said, what time will you be home? And I just started bawling on the, like on the floor crying because I didn't know. I didn't know what time I was going to be home. And then my life felt so out of control. And I was like, how did I get here? You know, I, all, I have the things I want now. I have this amazing partner and this child I've waited so long for. And yet I can't even figure out what time I'm going to be home. And so that kind of set off a chain of events that led me to write the book, The Feel Good Effect, and start the podcast, The Feel Good Effect, and all the work that I do, which is how do we take my backgrounds in behavior change, habits, and then mindset and mindfulness, how do we take what what I know and what we know from the research and really make it applicable in real life? Because so much of the research is written by people, and I was one of them, who aren't really interested in, in implementation. They just want to create the knowledge. And so I was like, wait, wait, let's, let's like make this in real life. Like, what should we do? And experimented on myself first with great success and then started sharing it. And that's, that's like the full circle moment for me. It's just now living in that place where I can still get things done, but I'm not striving and pushing all the time. I so, so resonate with that story. I have, I have a little question kind of relating to, you know, I spent most of my 20s, I always say I was a stressaholic. Like, again, status quo, I used stress as my slight edge. I thought that that little extra something, something in the middle of the afternoon was the way I was going to kick everyone's butt. And little did I know, I was, I was literally borrowing and stealing what I didn't have. And so 
I remember when I was finally at that point where I I had similar situation. I wasn't trying to get pregnant at the time, but I had massive chronic fatigue. That's kind of how it ended up happening for me. I couldn't literally function. And I started doing all the things, yet I kept the, the underlying belief or the underlying driver of strive and push forward was just there. And ultimately, I had to uncover, well, why, why am I so driven in that way? And then the process of kind of all the research that you did and in your own personal exploration, did you ever find out why you in particular needed to strive and push forward? Yes, that's actually what I discovered. So the book is laid out into three main sections. And the first is the story that I just shared. And then the second is mindset because so it's mindset and then um, a section on a method, which includes routines and habits, because what we know from the research and really logically, when you think about it, is that if you're going to make change, long-term sustainable change, you need mindset and you need the habits and routines. And often what we do is we try to say, I need better habits or I need this routine, which is wonderful. I'm fully, I mean, I'm here to talk about a five minute you know, routine, but the thing that was actually standing in my way was mindset. And I know like lots of people talk about mindset coming from different perspectives. Mine is very much a neuroscience perspective. So what's happening in your brain and understanding what I call the striving mindset, which is perfectionism. So impossible standards and mistake avoidance. That's one part. The second part is all or nothing thinking. So black or white. And then the third is comparison, understanding how perfectionism, all or nothing, thinking in comparison was really standing in my way (laughs) was such a light bulb moment because it wasn't my fault. There's nothing wrong with me, but it's a natural part of the way we think and really reinforced in our society and culture. And we think that that's the solution, but it's really the problem. So when I was able to like flip the script and step out of striving, that's when, you know, the feel good effect happened. Now, did you find yourself growing up as well with a family of strivers? I was just curious. Or like, was there trauma? Because for me, that was so much the mindset. It was a belief. I always tied my worth to productivity. And I still struggle with it today. Like if, for example, if I'm working, it's a Saturday and I'm working, you know, my husband and I are in the same business together and whatever I'm doing, I'm writing podcast content or I'm working on my book content and I see my husband on the couch doing something that isn't work. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it starts to get on my nerves. And and here's the thing is he has every right to be on the couch chilling on a Saturday. Just and and I have every right to be on the couch chilling on a Saturday. And so I've noticed, you know, and although I've worked on these massive beliefs, and, and this belief came from a lot of abuse and trauma from when I was growing up. And I knew that the only way that I was gonna get out of it is I had to overproductivity myself out of the situation. And it had a lot of false benefits. You know, I created a lot of success because of it. Like, if I think about it, I was like, honestly, I'm where I'm at today because I burned myself to the ground, you know, with this productivity mindset. But I now I, you know, like you said, I'm shifting the mindset, shifting the belief, or at least being like knowing where the belief came from and like catching yourself. So before I'll say anything to my husband when I see him sitting on the couch doing what I consider to be, quote unquote, nothing, I will check myself. 
<laughs> and and realize that it's just my stuff that always, you know, no matter how much we work on it, sometimes it's just right there in the background, just kind of speaking to us and always just going back to that, the mindset that's healthy versus the one that never, I mean, served me, but didn't serve me. Right. Yeah. It's like the little voice on your like angel on your shoulder. A lot of my community says that I, my, one of my mottos is gentle is the new perfect. And so a lot of my community will say that they'll hear me on their, you know, in their ear, like reminding them, catching them about the striving versus the feel good. For me, one of the interesting things in the research is some of it is just part of the way our brain thinks, but then it can be really exacerbated by, for example, childhood trauma or you know, number of factors. So it's there, but then it can be like kind of switched over into that danger zone. My dad is a child of immigrants and they instilled in him, you know, work hard. All the time. All the time. Yeah. And you know what? It worked. He was first in family to go to college. He ended up being a professor. He was an entre- he is an entrepreneur. A lot of success from that. So he felt like his job as a dad, he's a very loving dad, but he felt like his job was to instill that perfectionism. Like it's humiliating to make a mistake, like get it right, get it perfect, work all the time. (laughs) And I especially think as a female too, my mom was like really instilling, like you can do anything, you can be anything. And the idea that no one accounted for the fact that doing everything meant I had to do everything. (laughs) So that encouragement to like, go get the job and get the PhD. But I also wanted you know, I wanted kids and I wanted to have a family. And I, when it all got layered on, and you wanted happiness and <laughs> no one talked grace. about that. <laughs> no one talked about that. So <laughs> that's like for my next generation here, but for my daughter, it's like, yes, sometimes I work really hard, but allowing for that ease and allowing for that gentle and allowing for that like downtime where we consciously say, like, we're not doing anything right now. And that's good. And try to break the cycle for her. Hmm. Well, I just want to just take a moment and congratulate you on this book and to say that so often when I see authors in the world, I see strivers in the world. And I know what it took to write this book because I'm about to release, I call it the epic baby launch. <laughs> I'm having this baby and then I'm having a book launch after the baby is coming Amazing. out. So Amazing. we have a book coming out in April of 2021. And I actually spent more time getting this book baby ready than I was incubating the baby baby. Now, I realize that the baby baby is not going anywhere. Like once the book launch is over, you know, it is what it is. But thinking about my thought, Robin, and I, you know, I just kind of just listening and, and hearing from you, and maybe just extrapolating my own self as well. But I have a feeling that there definitely is still a lot of striver in you you know, and a lot of handling business, taking names, you know. And so what I really love is the idea that I guess I would love to know that I can have it all. Can I? That's what I want to, that's what I want to know. And I know that there are so many strivers listening right now. And there's so many women who just push and strive and it's a status quo and it's their normal and they don't know what it looks like to feel another kind of way. And I always wanted to believe that it was all possible. And, you know, like this year I was writing, I was finishing up writing the book 
and trying to get pregnant at the same time. And I was pregnant as I was finishing up the book. And so in a lot of ways, I absolutely do think it is possible. How has that navigated for you? So the antidote to the striving mindset is the feel-good mindset. And that is self-compassion, flexible thinking, and gratitude. And so when I teach self-compassion, for example, which is about self-kindness, treating yourself with common humanity, knowing that you're a human, knowing that you'll make mistakes, knowing that you can't push all the time because you're not a robot, you're a human. When I talk to strivers about that, they reject it because they think that being kind to themselves will make them lazy or a quitter or selfish or some combination of those things. And it's so fascinating to me that we've been conditioned to believe that because it's frankly just false. But like you said, you're addicted to that stress edge or you're addicted to the anxiety edge or the workaholic edge. And you think that that's what's giving you your power. But I like to think about sustainability. You know, I love, I happen to love the work I do. Not, I know that that's very much a luxury, but I want to be here doing this in five years. And I want to be here doing it in 10 years. And I want to do it in a way that I feel really good in my body the whole time. So when I learned self-compassion, flexible thinking, gratitude, I actually accomplished more. <laughs> like I produce a podcast. Every week the podcast comes out. I have a website that has a million visitors a month. I like I don't like shouting out these accomplishments only when I'm asked this question, <laughs> which is, can you still accomplish things and be kind to yourself in the process and be gentle and take breaks and not work all the time? I think yes, just based on the fact that I'm now a homeschooling parent against my will. <laughs> and I, you know, have so much disruption in my life and yet publish a book, podcast comes out every week run the business. And I don't, I only work a few hours a day. So that I think it's reorienting what having it all means, but also just letting go that addiction to the striving and the belief that that's what's getting you the results. If some of us have that addiction or preclusion to that need to strive, that workaholicness, that's the button that they're pushing is it specifically just the mindset that we've got? I mean, I know mindset is the big, big player here. Or is it the mindset tied to a couple of tangible activities that we can do? Like, I think of gratitude as a tangible activity. For me, I write everything I'm grateful for randomly, things that I'm grateful for all the time. And then at night, I have a little crystal by my bed where I go back. So in the morning, I have one gratitude practice. And then in the evening, I have another one. Evening is no matter what kind of day I had, but everything that I am grateful for that happened that day for me. And so uh, thinking about not only shifting the mindset, what are some of the tangible activities that really cement that, that helps us kind of move away from those preclusions, those, those potentially addictive behaviors. Yeah. And it's really great because shifting mindset is really shifting the way, the way that you think about something and the way to shift the way that you think is through practice. So some tangible practices, like you mentioned, gratitude practices, I can give you like one of my favorite gratitude practices. There's practices in the book for each of those sections with self-compassion 
it could be having a morning self-compassion. One of my favorites is called Good Morning, I Love You, which is from Dr. Shauna Shapiro, who is a self-compassion researcher. And it just is a practice of literally when you wake up, you put your hand on your own heart and you say, good morning, I love you to yourself, which feels really uncomfortable to some people to show yourself that love. And even if it's like you roll your eyes, that's fine. <laughs> you can think it's silly. You can still do it. And then it's good morning. I'll say good morning. I love you to myself. Good morning. I love you to my daughter. Good morning. I love you to my husband. And then outward. And I started reading on Instagram on my stories. Good morning. I love you to my community. That simple practice is changes the way that you think over time. So you mentioned gratitude. One of my favorite gratitude practices is I just call it gratitude files. It's exactly what you were talking about, noticing those little things, but taking a picture on your phone. So maybe it's like the steam, like my coffee is always in my gratitude (laughs) or my tea. You know it is, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I might just take a picture of that and it helps me, my my brain focus in on that for that second. Or um, like the way my daughter's hair falls is so pretty, I think. And that fills me with just so much joy. And then I have this file on my phone of all these little moments that is just these little pictures of everyday life and it helps retrain the brain. So those are some practices that you could try. And then there's a second section that I could talk about too, in terms of even further actions. But I think those practices, if you already have, like we could talk about five minute routines, but like you have a morning routine or ritual, like you could add this in without taking a lot of time because good morning, I love you or gratitude files takes an instant to do, but makes such a big difference. I love those. I love those. Cause I know, I know that shifting mindset is definitely the way that we do that. But I know so often, you know, when you, we talk about shifting our mindset, shifting the way that we think it's hard to wrap your mind around what that means. And it's easier said than done, especially if you've been doing something one way and you and you don't realize how much it's tethered to a strongly held belief that you didn't know about, that you didn't know that you were harboring. And so I was just curious as to what kind of ways in which, because once I kind of discovered the deeply held beliefs that I felt like I was tethered to, then I, I just I just had more awareness. And then I could start really working in the other direction. Like, what is it that I want to feel? How is it that I want to operate in the day? How is it that I want to show up? How do I want to show up every single day? And what are some ways in which I can set myself up for success? And I think, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of us are struggling with is just to feel good every day and to feel better every day. Probably one of the worst ways to not do that is to get into your phone and look at news articles every single day, things that already, you know, light you up. It doesn't put you in that feel good mood. So what are some things that we can do, some actionable shifts that we can do that can put us into a more feel-good state and and really set the tone for our day. So maybe it's the first couple things that we do out the gate in the morning that sets the tone for us too. Because I always think like even breakfast, like you could decide you're going to do like this really greasy, funky breakfast, you know, like it's bacon and it's, it's all these hash browns or whatever, whatever it is. And that can set the, a different tone for your day <laughs> than if you were to do like a green smoothie and a matcha latte or something where it, it you one you feel lighter you feel like a different level of a different kind of energy 
So same kind of thing is like, how can we transform just with a couple of things to really set ourselves up to kind of knock it out of the park in terms of having a feel good day? Yeah. Well, you kind of hit it the nail on the head in terms of feeling good. The place to start is to start awareness about how you feel and how you want to feel, which sounds pretty basic, but most of us have not learned how to do that. And in fact, part of striving is ignoring how you feel. Because <laughs> if you stop distraction. to ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, the, that's the big greatest distraction is yes. busyness. Yes. And if you stop to ask, it's scary what you might find. That's what's for me. I was like, I don't want to stop. And if I stop, this all falls apart. And so one can be the practice of even in the morning or through your day is checking in and asking, how do I feel? whether you journal that out or just ask yourself. And it's not even about having a positive response to that. Because I know a lot of people right now, if you stop and ask yourself, how do I feel? It's like scared, anxious, exhausted, burned out. You know, that's the truth for many people right now. But that's okay because you are acknowledging it. Because it's there anyway. (laughs) And pushing it down in a way and not acknowledging it is really part of the problem for many people. And so that seems counterintuitive though, because you're like, no, I want to feel good. And I'm like, okay, in order to feel good, you have to know how you feel right first. So just asking, how do I feel? And then there's an activity in the book, which I'm happy to share with you now too. If you're listening, you can take notes. It's written in the book, (laughs) but I'm always happy to share it. And I call it the feel good vision exercise. So it's similar to a like a traditional vision values exercise, but with this how you feel kind of twist. And so I just want you to write down all the ways, like words, how do you want to feel? Just a list. You don't have to analyze it. Just write down brain dump. And then I want you to circle the words that pop out at you the most and draw lines from them of like, why do you want to feel that way? So if you want to feel calm, why? If you want to feel energized, why? And you'll find that some have a lot of whys attached to those. And those are your feel-good words. And then you can keep, I like to choose three. Then that's when you come back to those words during your day and say, how do I want to feel? And then to your question, like how are my actions and my habits related to how I want to feel? So that's like a really good place to start because just having those, how do I feel now and how do I want to feel? That can be life-changing for people. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I agree. I think journaling those really powerful and potent questions are a great way to to really figure out what's going on and and what's going to get you there. Right. And then like if you have energized is one of your words and you know why you want to feel that way. Then when you have these daily habits and actions, you can say is this the way I'm eating here? Does it align with how I want to feel? It's not a judgment because like maybe you just want to have a big greasy hash brown breakfast. That's one of my favorites. But if over time I'm eating that every day, I know that's not aligning with that for me energy, then it's not like this is a good or bad food. It's more, this doesn't contribute to how I want to feel in the world and and because I want to be here and I want to be present for my family and I want to contribute to the world, all these reasons why. And that it helps you kind of filter out all of declutter your life, essentially. I agree. It's, you know, a great in the food analogy or example, such a great example, you know, asking yourself, 
is it serving my way of getting more energized? And it's not a good or bad thing. It's just really analyzing, like, is this is this for my highest and best good in the way that I want to feel? And when I think about food all the time on a daily basis, that's always the question. Is like, you know, is this nourishing me? Is this going to help me feel more energized? It's going to help me feel more focused. And I make food decisions based on that. And it never feels like a bad or good decision. It always just feels like, what's the best decision for my body? Yes. It's so healthy. And especially I have like all of these underlying issues. I have what turns out to be endometriosis. I didn't know that at the time and no one ever told me, well, I was having all these miscarriages and infertility. I, I have endometriosis and then I have pernicious anemia, which is an autoimmune disease that affects my B12 absorption. So I did really feel very bad for a long time and I got used to it. And so now my ability to ask, how do I feel? How does this action and habit make me feel? Isn't just about my mental health, which it is, my well-being. It's highly tied to my physical health because that pattern, I'm sure you talk about this all the time, with, I'm like this fragile little hormonal person that if I get one thing off, I, it has big consequences for me. My husband always calls me the canary in the coal mine. Like any little shift for me can cause huge problems. Whereas for him, he, I think he just is more hormonally resilient than I am. So that's been huge for me in my health is that developing that practice of like, how does this make me feel? How does this make me feel? Asking over and over and then taking things out and adding things in to try to create some balance. Hmm. I love that. That's so, yeah, so true. And thank you so much for sharing what that journey looked like in a little bit more detail. Because I know there's a lot of women listening here who are struggling with infertility as well and um, trying to figure out what's going on with their bodies. Mm -hmm. And then I had secondary infertility. I'm always happy. Open book on this one. We just have the one. So I had secondary infertility and Obviously, this is a very personal choice. And I, if you're going through either one, my heart is with you. It's so difficult. And it's really hard right now, given like fertility treatment options are really limited. It's just really hard. I just asking, how do you want to feel all the time helped me close the loop on that secondary infertility because for me, and again, like everyone's choice is their own, but it just, my body was telling me that it couldn't handle another pregnancy. And so I could mourn that, but also kind of step into the life with one child and celebrate that in like a beautiful way. And I really am in the place now where I I think if I could have written it differently, I would have had more than one kid, but this is what I have. And the whole process, the mindset and the asking those questions has changed the experience for me. And so I always like to share that too, because I feel like there's a lot... Not that many people talking about secondary infertility and like if they do, it all usually ends with like a pregnancy <laughs> and for me it didn't, but I still am here and I find joy every day. So yeah, I just send you love if that's what you're going through right now. Thanks so much for sharing that because I know that there are a lot of women probably listening to it. We're airing that boat as well, 100%. All right. What I wanted to do is, you know, we, we have you coming on today to talk about a five-minute wellness routine to feel good now. And this is this is my jam. This is my, my favorite thing. So 
when we're talking about a five-minute wellness routine, can we get in where we fit in any time? Is it most ideal to do it in the evening or the morning to kind of bookmark our day with this little routine? Is it something we could do more than once? How can we make this the kind of best feel-good experience for ourselves? Yeah, so one of the things that I found in my process and in my research was the benefits of routine and and having these habits that we use every day that contribute to how we want to feel. And then I was looking around and all these people talking about their routines and everyone was talking about an hour. <laughs> I, at the time, had this baby and you have one coming. I was like, who are these people with the hour morning? And if you have an hour morning, great. Like you stick with what works for you, but that didn't work for me. And so I kept playing with the idea of like, what's the shortest amount of time I can give this for the biggest impact? And I did find that five minutes, it's not about the amount of time. It's like the energy that comes from it. And so a couple of questions you asked. So one is five minutes is totally enough. And we can talk about what we could do with that five minutes. But I do find for me that I like to do what I call the four R's. So I do a morning, a mid-morning, a mid-afternoon, and an evening. And those are like revive, refresh, restore, and rest. You don't need to remember the R's, but that <laughs> helps me. And what I found was it took the pressure off the morning because in our house still, even with an eight-year-old, mornings are require a lot of hands-on from me and there's a lot of moving parts. So I didn't feel like I had to get it all in in the morning. And it also reminds me like in the mid-morning and mid-afternoon to take a break. Because as you mentioned, it's for me, it's pretty easy to just go all the way through without taking a break. And then that kind of evening wind down routine. So I always invite people to like play around with it. Maybe four parts doesn't work for you, but that just permission to customize everything and make it work in your life and play around with how long it has to be and when you do it. I love that. Okay, perfect. Okay, so getting where we fit in, definitely, you know, having an afternoon little moment or a mid later in the morning moment. I mean, honestly, we deserve moments all day long. That I am I am absolutely convinced of that. You know, to the idea of just go, 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 you know, for 10 hours or however many hours a day, just it's gonna catch up. Your body knows, you know, there's that. I think that book's called The Body Keeps Score. Like your body, there's so much research on stress and burnout and how your body is keeping track. And if you don't give it a break, it will make you take a break at some point. <laughs> so I'm always like, here, let's give you what you need so that we don't end up in that burnout place. What's so great about it too, you know, and I have a lot of five minute breaks. But like my morning routine, I've been able to get it down to 10, you know, and I know things are about to shift greatly for me, you know, and the idea of giving up my 10 minute morning routine, I'm just the baby and I are going to have some, some major sit down (laughs) conversations. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But that 10, if you have a 10 minute, like you can play around with how you anchor it into your day. So like one of the sun is black. I don't know if you can see that. It's like actually feels really nice. The sun is shining in my eyes. For me, having that five or 10 minutes in the morning, I like to anchor it to a specific time of day, but, but the freedom comes from releasing the anchor and finding, get in when you fit in. So when you have most of people who have younger children, it's just very frustrating to try to force it at a certain time versus saying like, let's have a little bit of 
flexibility here, like within this two or three hour window and let's see where it falls. And I, for me with the pandemic, with the pandemic, I still haven't been able to get consistency with time, but I've maintained consistency with the doing. So I might not get that 10 minutes before 10 AM, which I am bummed about, but I still get it versus like throwing it out the window for the last nine months, you know? That makes so much sense. And are there specific things that you relish or that you really love? I always love the idea of relishing. And one of the reasons why I love it is once you once you anchor down into it and you're doing it and you relish it, like it's you don't want to not do it any, you know, like you're always going to want to do it. And I think that that's such a really important part because going from a person who was like, don't have time for that, don't have time for that for like over a decade to then like, how dare you try to take this from me? <laughs> um, I love that I relish so much in the rituals that I have. Yes, that's uh, I love that. Um, relish is such a good word and it is so compassionate to like, it's a reminder that you deserve that joy, right? I recommend people make a list for if they're going to make a five minute routine or do the four times a day, five minute, four hours is to make a list of what you could, you know, what are your joys that you could put into those five minutes. And I always recommend people divorce themselves from the idea that that time is productive, like it's not about doing things to be productive <laughs> and we're so conditioned about productivity. We think my self-care or these routines have to get me something. And it's like, what if it was just joy? What if it was just rest? And so make a list of those things for me. I love like I have some loose leaf tea that I really love and a glass teapot and just making the tea and the ritual of making the tea. Sometimes that's my five minute morning and I listen to, I have like a bunch of playlists that I love that are really kind of calm and chill. Another thing that I relish is exercise snacking, which is just short bursts of exercise through the day. So that might be a walk or it might be some, I'm a yoga teacher, so I might just do some yoga or some stretching, but just like feeling the blood get through my body and not be so stagnant. That's one of my favorite things. Mm, I love those. I love the idea of it not being productive, about a productive routine. It's about like, you know, anchoring it into joy or anchoring it into like, I get to have this, I get to do this. I love that so, so much. And it helps with burnout. So many women that I work with, they want to adopt these routines, but then it turns into another thing on their to-do list. And they just feel so exhausted that they don't have time for it. And exactly what you just said, when you flip this switch to, it's not another thing on your to-do list. It's like a way that you ground yourself so that you can be here and feel good. Then that's how you stay out of the burnout trap altogether. Yeah, I can imagine. I definitely have been there where it's, you know, it's a part of productivity versus a get to have. And yeah, when it becomes one more thing on your list, then it just feels like, you know, it just, just another impossible to do, to do task. So I hear that. So I want to talk a little bit about the book, The Feel Good Effect, and a little bit about what was the big impetus, the big kind of passion for you writing this, you know, I know so much went into it and then where we can go and get it. Cause I know it's available right now. Yes. Well, the impetus is really hearing from my community who I talked about the feel good effect on the podcast all the time and people were having like life-changing experiences from trying it and they just wanted it in 
a guidebook that they could hold in their hands. And so I took, you know, the big, the big commitment of writing a book. And I'm so happy that it came out the way it did. It's really beautifully designed. It's like watercolor washes throughout and it's something you want to hold or give for your morning routine. I think it's really lovely. So that request from people who said, this has mattered to me, but I want it in a written place that I can hold in my hands. And that's been amazing. And that the, it can be give, like passed on now. So a friend can give it to a friend and say like, this helped me. Here's something for you. And then anywhere books are sold in the US and Canada, and then various places in like spotty internationally. There's some in the EU, there's some in Australia. Getting things into the international market right now is incredibly difficult for a number of reasons. Oh, and then it's on audiobooks. So those of you who like audio, I read it. So that's all the places. Perfect. Oh my goodness. Well, we will have the link to it inside the show notes along with, is there anywhere else that we can come and check you out? Clearly the the podcast is a great place to come and find you. Yes. So the Feel Good Effect podcast, you can search and subscribe right now on whatever app you're listening on. And then I'm actually at Real Food Whole Life on Instagram and realfoodwholelife.com. You can find, there's a download for the four-hour routines there. There's also uh, like 500 gluten-free, dairy-free recipes on there. There's tons of resources for free if you that's interesting. And then I love knowing where people come from. So if you listen and you want to connect on Instagram at Real Food Whole Life. Perfect. 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 I love all these places to go and find you and connect. Well, Robin, honey, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your brilliance and sharing your authenticity and your vulnerability today. It was such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So can you relate to our stories today? Did you blow through your 20s too and didn't look back until your body made you? Or maybe you are feeling the physical repercussions of many years of busyness right now and you're not sure how to start creating small changes to support your health and your body. Well, today you are in luck. Robin's book, The Feel Good Effect, is now out and packed full of easy and effective ways to create more ease in your life starting today. Now, the link to her book will be in the show notes for this episode, which is 252. And if you are 35 or older and struggling with your hormones and looking for powerful, sustainable solutions to address hormone challenges, I wanted to let you know that I'm hosting an epic event that I'm excited to invite you to for free. It is my perimenopause and menopause relief summit, and it's going live next month with 35 doctors and experts in the women's health space sharing their best advice, recommendations, and protocols for the most disruptive hormone issues. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this event and what I know it's going to give you by just simply attending it. You will be experiencing incredible transformations based on the actionable steps and protocols that these doctors and experts have brought to the table because that's what they promised to do. Now, this event is going to take place next month and it's going to be providing fast acting solutions that work without wasting your time. I will have the link for the Perimenopause and Menopause Relief Summit, which you can register for free and get epic bonuses. I have a couple of recipe bonus guides that you're gonna get just for registering so that you can start making some changes literally the second you register. Also, I'd love for you to share this event with someone that you love, someone that you know just needs some help in this department. Changes are happening, especially in our 30s, our 40s, 50s, and beyond. 
Oftentimes, no one's telling us what's going on. This summit addresses every single one of those concerns and gives protocols and actionable steps to make change happen. So you can find the link in the show notes for 252. That's the episode number. Grab your free seat and make sure to check out the book by Dr. Robin Downs. Both links will be in the show notes. And I want to say thank you so much for joining me today for another episode on the Essentially You podcast. Again, be sure to grab your free ticket to this year's event. It's like the biggest event of the year, my perimenopause and menopause relief summit. Share it with a friend. That way, this critical information gets out to more women who need to hear it. Because I will tell you, when I was in my 30s, I knew I needed information like this and I didn't know where to get it. I had to find it. So I know that this is going to be huge for you and anybody else that you share it with. Well, until the next episode, I hope that you're having a wonderful week and I can't wait to see you soon.